the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 279. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Ketzel Sterling. Hey, Ketzel. Great to have you on the show. Cheers. Now, this is your first time, so you probably better tell, uh, tell listeners where you, uh, where you fit into this world of uh, technology at the moment. Well, I just started a, well, recently we just started a company. So we are a tech startup. Exciting. One of, one of the many. The company's called The Module Project, and we'll probably be trading as Module. Cool. Well, I want to hear about that, so we're definitely going to uh, drill and ask you a few questions during the podcast. But to get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about a new story that was online today around a company in Nelson who say that Spark's slow response to their phone crisis has cost their cake company thousands of dollars. (laughs) <laughs> this was pretty curious. I don't know if you saw it. Did, no. you, did you see the story? No. So basically, uh, staff are reporting that this uh, couple in, uh, in Nelson were left without a phone connection for more than a week. After a they, week? After uh, they had fiber installed. And they're saying that basically all of their business comes through via phone, which sounds pretty old school to me. But, but that, hey, that's the, that's that's the way they roll. That's the way some, uh, some businesses work. And so they were getting uh, they were getting pretty uh, frustrated with the situation. So Chorus sent somebody out, I think, to uh, to investigate. Chorus van came out, and they were so frustrated at the situation that they boxed in the Chorus vehicle for five hours, basically demanding that the technicians sort it out before they were going to release their vehicle. Oh, wow! So that was the protest. Is that the right sort of way to handle these situations? What do you think? Well, th- this is interesting actually because. And this is this is true. I currently had fiber installed literally days ago, and I have currently no phone. Oh, really? Really? And yeah. so, who's your inter- <laughs> who's your internet provider? Uh, Vodafone. Okay. And uh, Chorus did the installation work, and they had a lot of trouble doing it. It wasn't their fault. It was actually the people who had put it in the road. It was and always somebody else's fault. Somebody, anyway, someone made a mistake. They've been a, they were around the house sort of ten times, and yeah. So they switched. They, so they switched you over from your old copper connection. Correct. To your ultra-fast broadband yep, connection. Great. But they haven't... Well, you've got internet, but no, no, no phone, phone line. No, phone's, phone's gone. I just literally... I literally got a message on the way to the studio saying, hey, uh, the phone's not working. What's up with that? So, yeah. Okay. That would be quite frustrating, but my business doesn't run on the phone at home. No. And I mean, this, this whole thing to me sounds, sounds rather weird. For somebody who's uh, so panicked around their landline being down that they haven't managed to convince their internet provider to at least forward their calls to their mobile. I mean, if they're saying they've lost thousands of you know, dollars worth of business, you would call up your your provider and say, look, forward my calls. I'll pay for it, but you know, forward my calls to, to your mobile. I mean, but, this is pretty simple stuff, isn't it? <laughs> but that's on the assumption that they have a mobile. Because you did say that a vast percentage of their work was from you know, this phone-based work. Right. But right. no, you're right. Immediately you would convert the calls to your mobile phone and that would solve the problem. And obviously the service provider should immediately re- maybe re- rewire the copper to keep them running while they were so- you know, solving the problem. Hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a curious one to me. I mean, it's certainly a situation I've come across uh, many times. I often hear these stories from people around, oh, yes, we, you know, we moved our business, we went from one premise to another, we got some new service installed, and X, Y, Z happened, and we didn't have services running for a week or, 
or two weeks. And it's one of those things that for a, a technology service firm, you become very good at knowing what are the processes to actually avoid that, to de-risk the whole situation. So if you've got somebody that's transferring from one service to another, you work out how you're going to cover it if somebody drops the ball, right? Yeah, no, that's, um, that's perfect. So, that's the perfect description. But the, the problem, I guess, here is, and it will be the case for many small businesses in New Zealand, is they may be too small to work with a yeah, professional to manage those things. So they're, yeah, they're just calling up a retailer and saying, do this. They don't know what all those options are. So maybe they just never thought through and it was never offered well, to them not, to, to forward the calls to clear. a mobile. Yeah, but for you and I, we'd probably figure it out pretty quickly. If, oh, we've, we're, we're, losing, we're losing money at a rapid rate. You'd work out a way to fix it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, yeah. so a little bit embarrassing but i think there there is a nature of risk around around making changes with technology and, and telecommunications and yeah if if you've got a lot of money at stake you want to work out and make sure you've got those processes geared up if something falls over yeah well you i think also you've got to factor in that it's not just one service provider you're dealing with civil who are doing the roading the cable infrastructure and then you've got chorus who are doing the the, the next part of the infrastructure so any one of them can make an error, and if they do, you're going to be without service. So it's it's trying to deal with who's made the error, and, and also, like you said, having some sort of backup plan. Especially yeah, if it's and, your we, and we've I mean, we've got lots of options now. We can get you know, wireless, you know, 4G based internet to lots of lots of locations. You can certainly take take calls over those types of connections over your mobile, of course, but. There will always be exceptions too, right? And uh, maybe they're in a in a place that gets no mobile coverage, or yeah, you know, there you some, go. Some, some, some there other you go. Where is that place? Yeah. I want to go there. <laughs> uh, there's one or two. Usually, it happens though when uh, when it's really annoying and you really want some coverage. Yeah, or maybe do some spelunking, caving. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly if you're uh, if you're caving, you you'll find there are there are uh, there are one or two spots where you'd be outside of coverage and probably quite pleased because you don't really want your uh, phone ringing while you're uh, abseiling down a rock or something. You're in the a river underneath a mountain somewhere. Although we've got some good phones to handle that now, right? Some well, yeah, that's good, true. There good, you go. Good, good waterproof phones. What is now? What I meant to ask you: What are you using technology-wise? What's what's your go-to? Well, I'm technically around? I'm quite old school. My phone's a Sony Z3, which I I did buy for a logical reason. I bought it because it was at the at the time the only phone that really lasts kind of for two days. And for me, battery life was the main. And I do a lot of mountain biking, and I got sick of putting a phone inside a little plastic bag when it rains and wet and mud and so forth, and it's waterproof and so it's quite useful. Mm. Yeah, it's but I, have, I haven't had a reason to buy another one. Pretty good, pretty good handset from uh, from that that perspective. All right, so yeah, that's um, that is the the story of the uh, the grumpy Spark customers. And since you know, since they've managed to get all this media attention, we better mention their company, Chocolate Velvet. They're called. Chocolate velvet. Um, so that does sound good. If you uh, if you feel sorry for them and you're in Nelson, I think it is, um, then you can go and uh, and help them out by um, giving them a call once their <laughs> phones back up and running, and uh, ordering a chocolate velvet cake, I suppose. So uh, yeah. Now on to other other topics. Uh, we've had a deal announced today between uh, New Zealand and. Alibaba. Now, Alibaba, pretty big company. I was interviewed on Radio Live about them today, about the sort of 
the business aspects of this deal. And I looked it up, and their uh, market cap was about a quarter of a billion US dollars. So they're a um, a pretty valuable entity in the in the scheme of things. That's, uh, that's Qu- a quarter of a billion. Sorry, two. Sorry, a quarter of a trillion is quarter, what I'm there trying you to go. say. Yeah. I was going to say that's not a very. <laughs> we'll be bigger than that. <laughs> A quarter of a trillion dollars. So t- I think it was, uh, yeah. So certainly, you know, well over uh, over three hundred billion New Zealand dollars. So a pretty sizable entity, and one of which probably quite a few of us in New Zealand have uh, have interacted with. Now they've got a lot of online uh, properties, but this deal is is really about, I think, helping. New Zealand businesses being able being uh, able to get their products onto Alibaba's online properties and sell, uh, particularly to the the Chinese uh, consumers. Yep. So I think this this is pretty pretty interesting if it can uh, if it can help with that process. And I guess you could compare that a little bit to you know a few years ago people were were trying to get their their products so they would come up high in Google rankings and so on. There's all this. There was so much to learn for businesses around getting into the online world, and this is just another another niche. Although niche is probably the wrong word because it's, well, it's, pr- it's pretty massive. It's the second right? second largest market on earth. It's huge, isn't it? We, so, what is the largest market on earth? Well, is that the US? Supposedly, it's uh, fascinating. It's, it's it's the US, but these t- these tables will uh, will, will turn yeah, at some swap. stage in the in the not in the not too distant future. Yes, we, we have some interesting times ahead, uh, especially with the way politics are going. Well, in, that, it, uh, it in has to be positive States news. At the moment, that so. has to be positive news for like a small New Zealand company that exports. Well, if you can get your products on onto um, Alibaba's online properties and and have them picked up and have people actually you know finding what you're doing and excited about your products, and that's pretty interesting. I think. Well, they're talking about training as well. They're talking about. Flying you over there, spending a few weeks learning their market and so forth. So it's it's beyond it's just it's beyond just a listing. It's well, that, actually that's a, a that's a key, isn't it? And I think you know, if we, as as Kiwis, uh, for those of us who haven't been well exposed to the Chinese market, uh, many of us just won't know how to represent our products. Certainly, there are language difficulties, yep. but it's understanding how people in different markets actually yeah the market dynamic in that country sure that you're fulfilling. The needs that they've got, rather than New Zealand needs, which are going yep. to be quite different, right? Oh, absolutely. We what we what we like here is not what they like there. So you absolutely have to have a market awareness, and the only way to do that is to get in there and learn it. And obviously, having you being trained by their staff there is going to just get you to the market much faster. And uh, there's talk of a, a local presence uh, here in New Zealand as well. So yeah, um, that as well. Yeah, so I, th- I mean, I think there's there's lots there to be uh, to be positive about. I'm I'm kind of curious what's in it for um, for Alibaba a, a deal like this. Obviously, there there is some benefit, but in the scheme of things, we're not we're not the biggest country to be signing deals with. But it does potentially open some doors for them to start signing deals with other markets and, and yeah, maybe and, it's a and test other case. Countries, so yeah, well, I guess in the other, I guess you can look at it from the other perspective as well. Though I mean, it goes both directions. They're going to want to be selling the other direction, of course, and anything well. that creates publicity for them. And I'm sure if you look at the amount of publicity that they've had in the media over this announcement, there'll be lots of people. Oh, who are they? I've never heard of them before. Yep. Who will suddenly be visiting and having a look at Alibaba, AliExpress, 
yep. and and so on. They've also got Alipay, which is I I guess a, a PayPal type service in the, yep. the, the Chinese market, and they they cut you know right across the retailing as well as wholesaling. You know the the uh, direct to consumer type sales and so on. So they're they're competing with the likes of eBay and TradeMe, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have bought uh, products through probably Ali AliExpress would would be the most uh, most, common. most common one yep. for you know for in, individual purchases. But yeah, there there is just access to a, a massive range of uh, range of products, and it's uh, you know it's quite fascinating to actually go in and search for for bits and pieces there, and especially comparing some of the simple products that you might buy locally that you can go online and, and buy off these guys and uh, find that they ship them freight free or ship them for a, a dollar yeah, or, the low shipping or, costs or so are to, everything uh, to New Zealand. You know, in those sorts, sorts of cases, adding in a, a local you know, sourcing of the product um, you know, might double, triple, quadruple the price in some cases. So yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's certainly I think what the way we will see things uh, moving more and more Longer term, um, I do think from that consumer perspective, though, there are some some challenges. I don't know if you bought you know much stuff through um, Ali, AliExpress. I've been buying or... things online. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm proud to admit it or not. I have no idea whether it's good or bad, but I have been buying things online for a long time. Like I, because I used to live in the states, mm. and over there it was we were doing that a lot earlier than we're doing it. Maybe five to six years earlier with Amazon, obviously. And once once you got used to it, I mean, it's kind of how you you shop. That's right. Because it's obviously easiest to find the, the best price. Unfortunately, that's driven by that. You know, we find that very quickly. It's a one click. It's, it's a single click, the mm. item. Mm. But Alibaba, I've only bought a few things off, off them, but it all worked. It always arrived on time and so forth. You know, right. I never had a negative experience. Yeah, the, I guess the challenges that I have seen in the past, and I haven't, admittedly, haven't you know, bought much off them probably for a you know, couple of years or, or maybe more, that... I experienced this, you know, the, the site looks okay. You seem to be able to find things, but there seem to be so many traders and determining whether you were buying off somebody who was good or bad just didn't seem, doesn't seem as simple to me as eBay, for instance. Yep. Uh, which is pr- probably for those, those sorts of online purchases when you've got a choice of AliExpress, eBay, or trade me for me. I've probably veered a bit more towards eBay. So there's, there's something there, but I think there's a whole lot of personal preference in there yeah, too. Yeah, I think a lot of it's that. Other people will buy off, off AliExpress and be very happy with it, and they buy all sorts of things there. And I mean, these aren't the only options, of course. There's, there's yeah, a, there's I a think whole it depends on. It really does depend on what you're buying. And if you're buying a high ticket item and maybe what you'd call a name brand product, you're probably actually buying from someone else. You may be buying locally, and hopefully you're buying locally because at least it's supported here. But if you're buying, say, a phone case, it's probably the best example in the universe, and it's a dollar, and there's free shipping, that might be where you go. Like it, it really just depends on the cost of the pro. And I think it's the name brand thing is the is the part. Like not every one of these online sources sells each product. Mm, mm. Like you can't fi- you might find that you can't get. Maybe that Apple phone that you're looking to buy online, you're going to go to the Apple store, obviously. You're not buying it off eBay. You're not buying it off, Ali, off the, uh, AliExpress. So I, I think it depends on what you're shopping for. Mm. I mean, I've just had a look on there now. I've just clicked on on something quite random. I've ended up within AliExpress looking at some shoes, HKR <laughs> fashion shoes. Now, 
I'm not quite sure on the fashion elements, but apparently these are HKR 2016 Spring Women Oxford's Shoes Genuine Leather with a capital L Lace-Up Boat Shoes Ballerina Flats Shoes Woman Flats Woman Black Shoes 051. Um, they've had 38 orders, 11 votes, and they've got 4.9 stars out of 5, and they're between US 14.29 and US 16.49. A little bit cheaper if you buy through the app, <laughs> and they're available American shoe sizes, US shoe sizes of four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, and there is free shipping to New Zealand via China Post registered email delivery estimate of 15 to 34 days so free shipping two weeks sort of time frame and so if you i mean you work that out you're getting some brand new leather shoes for i don't know 22 23 uh, 23 dollars that sounds like an interesting shoe did you notice that they're a boat shoe as well as a some sort of ballerina slipper <laughs> is that not two separate shoes it's it's interesting i mean they actually they they actually look they look okay when yeah, you, when you, when you flip, flip through the images. I don't know if you've found them or not. But anyway, so there, I mean, there's just so many different things you can buy. But the, there, I mean, there are some challenges. So what if you get them and they're the wrong size? You know, well, is it worth the hassle to send them back? No, probably not. So what do you do with them? That does seem you a little might. strange, isn't it, that you've bought a pair of shoes from another country. They've, they've arrived. They're not the right. You've sent them back to that country. It's hypothetically not the best system. No, no. So there, there are a few challenges with that. I mean, the US, because of their population, handles it really, really well. There's, there's, some, there's some really good retailers there in terms of online uh, shoes and clothing. They'll send them to you freight free. You can try whatever you want, send them back, and they cover all of that cost. Now, you don't pay $15 US for shoes, though, when you're, when you're doing that. So you do have some, some other options. But I mean, here you could be waiting. You could be waiting over. You know, you could be waiting five weeks for for them to. Uh, you could be waiting five weeks for them to arrive. Bit of a bit of a test there of the Bluetooth system. I think uh, that was the Bluetooth was system yeah. on the new speaker we've got here. Oh, that's good. We'll have to dive in and uh, and chat about that then. So um, that's probably enough on um, on on AliExpress. There's a whole lot we could. I was going uh, to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're in the middle of buying something. Well, so. I was, look, I found a, a multi-bag pouch polyester fabric. 600D Oxford. It's a tall it's a, it's a tall bag for a man, it says here. And 98.8% of people who purchased it are satisfied. Okay. That's, um, that's good. I, I mean, I am curious about the review side because that was an area in, in the past, and I think it probably depends on your product, that I was, I was left not quite, not quite so confident. And maybe it was some of the more obscure products where they only had one or two maybe three reviews it's very hard to have a lot of you know confidence yeah that for my purchasing online for me like it's always been review based always i mean that's all you got to go on and they, that's where amazon are fantastic right the, well, they're really the, they're the, they are the benchmark for that yeah yeah okay so into our other topics now we have got this new bluetooth speaker here that the that chaps from, from sony uh, fired across now um Quite a quite a nice ringtone uh, coming through there off your yeah, that was quite good actually through the uh, I didn't quite through, know what was happening Bluetooth. Um, so this is Sony's new um, SRS XB3 Bluetooth speaker. Now the one that we've got is in this stunning. You wouldn't get run over if you were walking um, down the middle of the road well, with no, it, uh, it, lime green. It does serve two purposes. This speaker not only is it a speaker, it's also a safety vest. 
well, if you could detach it to yourself in some manner. Mm. But it, it's pretty solid, isn't it? And it's, it's, I mean, we're it comparing is, yeah. it to um, the Ultimate Ears or Logitech, um, Mega U- Boom, UE Boom, and and Mega Boom. It kind of sits yeah. in some ways between the two. I mean, it looks not a whole lot bigger, although it's it's, it's, it's square rather than tubular, like the, booms, the UE it's Boom. Boom two size, um, but it's a little heavier. But yeah, it comes in about nine hundred grams. It looks pretty capable. Now they've got a, a level of uh, waterproof or, or spray proofness of it, so uh, yeah, you could splash a bit of water around it, um, and it's supposed to handle it. But looking looking at the uh, the covers and so on, yeah, I wouldn't be uh, dumping it in some water or anything like that. I think uh, you might. Yeah, I don't think it's a diving a speaker. No, not quite. But it actually—I I mean, I had to play with this over the weekend. You—you you tried it out here. The it sounds good. It sounds out good. I was actually is, quite uh, impressed. Reasonable, right? Yeah, it's quite well. Obviously, with wireless speakers, the biggest issue with all of them is obviously bass. The smaller the speaker, the the lower the vo- less, less bass. You need a larger cavity size to get more bass. It's simple physics. And this one's actually surprisingly good lower end for a medium sized speaker. But the penalty is it's a little heavier. You know, 900 grams is sort of pushing it for what you'd call a mobile. It depends on, it depends on what you're looking for. Now, what we are told about this one is it's got, it's got a pretty decent battery life. And one of the other things that I hadn't noticed on any of the Bluetooth speakers before, but you've, you've told me that a few of them have this, is it's got a, um, just a, a standard USB port. Now, it's got a proprietary charger, so you can't charge it through a micro USB, which you know some of the other speakers have, but it means it charges a bit, charges a bit quicker. At a rapid rate. And it's got this USB port, so you can plug in your, your smartphone if you're out and about and actually charge your smartphone off the, off the back of it, which, uh, which, which seems like a, uh, a reasonably good idea. Yeah, it seems to be that's a uh, that's a facility that a lot of the newer wireless speakers are offering, and that's you know charging. They they run a larger battery, so they can obviously easily charge a cell phone. Yeah, I think it's, not, it's actually not something approach. I've ever used. But if you're maybe if you were camping and you were low and you were really desperate for some charge, I'm sure that'd be useful. Well, it's sort of. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest components in it is the is the battery, right? So you kind of, you are carrying around a uh, a portable battery. So <laughs> literally, um, yes. It's it, it makes sense that you should be able to use that for some other bits and pieces. Now we're told that the battery life on this is a whopping twenty four hours. Yeah, well, that's a, that's um, an interesting one. You got to be very careful with that specification because that is that at what volume and. Is that wired in, or is that over Bluetooth? Because Bluetooth uses a bit, a bit more. Uh, yeah, every company so on, seems right? to have a different measurement in terms okay. of their battery life. Because you've got that mini jack input, so you can run a you know cable from your laptop or your smartphone or yeah, your, you I, know, I, tablet, whatever. I've, I've, there's a couple on the market that say 24 hours. There's another couple that say that. But when tested at, at relatively high volumes, none of them got even over 12. No, and that's the, that's the up to figure, and it's a, a little bit like what we see for laptops and other devices. And if you get half of that, then uh, you you often feel you're doing uh, you're doing pretty well. Well, maybe it's mu- music style. Like if you're listening to say sort of some chilled ambient, it'll it'll do 24 hours. But if you're into the hard chilled techno, ambient mu- music, turned down, wired in, and plugged into power, no, that would be going a little bit far in terms of uh, um, with the wind behind you on a sunny day. <laughs> yeah, it'll do um, the 24. I mean, I'm, I could be massively mistaken, and maybe it does at full volume last for 24 hours. Seems unlikely to me. Now, they 
Um, it's also uh, got NFC, so with a lot of phones, probably your Sony actually, I you can do, do, that. The, do I the one touch that. pairing. That's so you're just I able to it. you were just able to tap on Tapped and it, um, and it, it paired, paired my automatically. Phone. That's nice. Ease of use. A little bit annoying if you've got an iPhone, um, of course. They're, They'll do yeah, NFC. Their near field communication uh, capability is um, pretty much close to zero. Locked down, so you, you can't take take advantage of it unless you're Apple paying. But, it does um, have extra bass too, according to this button here. There is an extra bass button. If you press I mean, that, the bass on it for a little speaker is is actually uh, not not, not too bad. bad. I've it's certainly bad. thought it's it sounded um, up there with with the. It's you know, one of the, the better, better ones. One of the I've better ones across. I've heard so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've listened to a million of these things. All right, so that's enough about the Sony uh, XB3 uh, Bluetooth speaker. Um, other than pricing, the New Zealand retail price uh, again similar to what we've seen in other Bluetooth speakers around this sort of size. Uh, Two hundred ninety nine is the uh, retail price in New Zealand. Uh, the US price is one hundred and fifty. So you could feel a little bit hard done by compared to uh, US pricing, but um, that seems somewhat seems uh, half of the somewhat, course somewhat down common. Here. Kind of curious. Uh, the UE Boom, I think, has a retail or the UE Boom Two, their their current one of uh, one nine nine US, and that retails here in New Zealand for I think um, maybe three thirty is the full retail. Oh, I think that's the, thinks the Mega Boom three. They've got a, the, might be a little the, bit more for the Mega Booms retail. I think that's three sort of three fifty ish. Okay, and the other okay. one's in the two fifty ish sort of number. Right, right. Okay, I think it, it depends whether we're talking their full retail prices. Yeah, or what, or the, what you can actually get it for. Yeah. So. This one's an interesting one because it sort of does slide in between the two of them. Mm. It's sort of not as large as a Mega Boom, not as small as the as a Boom Two, which is and not as obviously as light either. But for some people, this will sit perfectly in. It'll be the perfect size for some people. Agreed. Now, um, one thing you mentioned when you arrived was that Google have announced um, their podcast player. Now, we're a little bit limited in New Zealand just yet in that that the the Google Play app does not play podcasts in New Zealand just yet. Which, I mean, they announced this months and months ago. Um, yeah, it only went, must, it went live today. August or something last year that it was first mentioned, and then it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's only just gone online today. No doubt at some stage in the future they will open that up internationally. Um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Microsoft's maneuvers with, with podcasts through their uh, uh, Zoom platform back in the day and with Windows Phone where they had a podcast app and a, and a podcast capability that for many years was just locked down to the US. Now, I don't see a huge amount of rationale for this sort of approach, and I'd be pretty surprised if uh, if Google don't open it up uh, oh, internationally. They'll definitely you know, open it re- reasonably rapidly quickly. too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they take if they take a year to do it, I will be um, no. I'll be hugely disappointed. Well, remember when the, with Google Play Music, well, their streaming service, the issue was licensing. You know, in each new territory, they had many, many, many licensing issues. So they had to go through, and it was supposedly the story is that it was very, very complicated for them. This is not a licensing issue. No, this, which is, is, this is just a service issue. So mm. it'll, they'll open it up much quicker than that. I hope so. I'm, but it, I'm, I mean, for pod, I'm just for, remembering how poor Microsoft were in this area. I mean, they they, they kept using optimist for, uh, for years. So I mean, Google are usually reasonably uh, reasonably good with getting this sort of stuff out there. There. And I'm sure there will be some financial benefits for Google as well. I would imagine they will start opening up 
being the company that the sort of company that they are they will start opening up options so that podcasters can lay down cash with Google and promote their podcasts and get up into the charts just by spending a bit of money with Google. Ah, uh, yeah, got the um, point. So I think there'll, there, there'll be some interesting aspects to this that we haven't seen from Apple. In previous discussions with with Apple, I were, you know, was left with the impression that, that they, they have some interest in maybe expanding the, the uh, podcasting aspects of what they do. Today, they're certainly the most invested in this area. You know, they've got dedicated staff around the world who cover the, the podcasting side and are making sure uh, that the podcasts that you see through iTunes and through the podcast app are... Uh, you know they've been selected they they work with the podcasters in terms of the way that the content gets displayed and so on and so you know they've got a reasonable investment much bigger than anyone else by a long shot and uh, you know i hope this will bring google sort of uh, up in line with that well you look you look at it this way at the moment what's the percentage of android users versus apple ios users i mean it's still heavily swayed towards android yeah i mean in terms globally of, in terms of the actual number of users but if we look at the podcast stats it shows it's heavily yeah, because heavily leaning to, Google, towards apple right google doesn't even have a podcast player and which, that's, it's that's not even natively built it? into it which is crazy if you think about it so them them announcing it them doing it it's actually it can't possibly be anything but good no i think i think there's a there's a good upside to this uh, i had a look the other day at uh app it used to be called podcast addict it's now called podcast and radio addict i'm sure there'll be a bunch of listeners that are, that Probably are listening using through it this it. very moment that's right and that one is, if I recall correctly, the biggest podcasting app on Android at the moment. And yeah, when I when I last looked, I think they were up to around four million downloads. So yeah, but when, when you a, compare that to some of the some of the super popular apps on Android that are like you know, Google probably, Maps, probably is a up, good example, up a, you know, well, billion, billion billion downloads, yeah. it it shows that I guess that inconvenience of it not being sort of there being a stock app available for uh, for podcasts. So yeah, I think this will this will be good. Um, oh, it's gonna. I literally, I think it'll be quite a game changer. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to take some time, but I mean, fast forward two years from now. And every Android phone, well, let's say three years ahead, every Android phone in the world's got an inbuilt podcast player. And Google are advertising to you podcasts. So obviously, I think in the long run, it's going to be good for everybody. I wonder whether they'll have paid podcasts and what other things they'll come up with. But Yeah, whether they'll do premium services and so forth. There's one or two of those sorts of services already. It's it is certainly quite possible they could uh, they could go down that track. So well, I mean, currently when see. I talk to someone about a podcast and they what they want to know how to listen to them, and they haven't listened to them before. I've got to say, well, you need to install this app and you've got to turn this off and have get rid of this notification. It's a little complicated. It is, it is. So yeah, for the non non technical people, this will be a boon, and uh, I'm sure most Android uh, users will be interested in having. Well, a look. here's a question for you. What podcast player do you use? I use I use a mix. I've definitely used Podcast Addict on Android, um, amongst others, and then you know on Windows Phone and on um, on iOS. I'm you know just using the the stock ones. But you know people are always telling me about oh you must try out this one and that one, and and I do try out other app applications. But I usually end up sort of going back to the the existing the, the most sort of stock standard ones just on moving around devices and they're they're all set up and yeah seem to seem to work without well, I, uh, an I, extra layer. I have very similar behavior until recently uh I, someone shouted out a, an app called for android called pocket casts which is i let's let's call it the alternative to podcast addict and uh yeah i switched over to that called pocket cast and 
for me, definitely superior. Yep. Well, the, and there, and I mean, there are sort of features like playback speeds that can be really handy. We've got apps that will sort of take out the little gaps and pauses in, in podcasts. So you get through a little bit more content. You add together all those sort of features. If you are listening to a lot of podcasts, they do come in pretty handy. And I'll certainly use the, um, the uh, I think it's a 1.5 times uh, type, type speed quite commonly to listen to content. So I can squeeze a bit more in. Uh, you- if you've got a longer commute, then that may not be so much of an issue. Yeah, it's an interesting. Like I, I um, I do quite a bit of mountain biking out at Woodhill, and for me, that's a fifty-minute drive. And the podcast is like my savior because it's the perfect time I get to learn while I'm traveling. Superb! It's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now, a couple of other things that we must discuss before we finish up. Um, now, first of all, is Amazon versus Netflix. There's been a little bit of coverage in, in local media around this, this topic today and the talk of Amazon's plan to steal Netflix customers. Now, this is one of, the, one of those stories that uh, the New Zealand Herald sort of just picked up off the wire, Associated Press, etc. Because, you know, for most people in New Zealand, getting video through, through Amazon isn't something that they would have been considering doing because Amazon doesn't promote their service to New Zealanders. That said, it wasn't that long ago that everyone was piling onto Netflix uh, before it was offered as a New Zealand service. I've, I've been using Amazon through a Prime subscription for a number of years, and I've got to say that their service is getting better and better. They've got more and more uh, unique content, content like The the Man in the High Castle, which is, is quite an interesting one. I don't know if you've come across that one. I haven't watched Kettle. it. I've heard of it. So you're, you're basically um, set in the, in the US um, after World War II, and in a, in, a, in a situation where history went slightly differently and the, uh, the, the west side of the US is controlled by the Japanese, uh, the eastern uh, states are, are controlled by uh, Nazis. Um, <laughs> okay. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the war went a very different way. And, uh, yeah, quite fascinating. I haven't got, uh, haven't got too far into it, but I, I was watching, uh, did watch an episode over the weekend and so, yeah, it was it was curious when this uh, this story came out. And I've been finding recently because of these uh, issues that that we've seen with accessing US Netflix. And I know a lot of listeners have have sort of fed back that they've had issues with accessing the US content, getting messages popping up on the screen if they're using US Netflix that it's detected they're using a proxy service. Or VPN, well, they are trying to counteract it now, aren't they? Um, they are, which is is debatable why they're doing it and whether they should be doing it and what it's going to do to their customers. But yeah, I've, I've got to say I've been finding, uh, because I hadn't been uh, you know, watching a whole lot of the uh, um, the Amazon Prime subscription content for a while, I found there's you know, a whole bunch of stuff on there that, uh, that oh, I hadn't good. seen. So it's quite good. And and they have got this, uh, the, you know, their own content that they're uh, they're paying to have produced in a similar manner as what uh, what Netflix are doing. So but the big announce uh, from them was they're they're breaking up um, their uh, video on subscription video on demand service so that you can buy it separately just as you can yeah, with so Netflix, similar to Netflix. On, a, on a monthly subscription. I think about nine US dollars a month. It's, so. Well, it's actually it's a, it's a dollar cheaper to start with, but uh, I mean the television industry is quite an interesting one. But basically, the saying goes, "Content is king." But n- now with streaming service, it's content is empire. So if Amazon are able to create new and original content that's incredible, well, then their service will obviously flourish. And I'd say the, the biggest driver of that at the moment would be, I guess, what you call the replacement for Top Gear. So when 
Jeremy Clarkson and the teams split from the BBC mm. and they signed that deal with Amazon, that's going to drive them a, a vast volume of customers. And that show probably, look, it's a couple of months away from debuting, and I think mm. that's where we'll start seeing a turnaround. But basically, it just comes down to content. If they can match Netflix's original content at Amazon, well, then, yeah, they'll, 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 we'll, have a, we'll have a competitor that'll be fighting, which is good for all of us because we need that competition. We, we don't, need, we we do don't need want Netflix to be the only company that succeeds at this. It, it, um, that's, a, that's a curious point because there are some really good things about competition. There's also some challenges with it. And, you know, at the moment, I've got, uh, got Lightbox, I've got Quickflix, I've oh, got yes, Netflix, I've got Amazon, I've got Hulu Plus. So, you know, there's five services. Now, they, they vary. I think, think Spark are still, still giving away uh, Lightbox subscriptions. I don't think I'm paying for that yet. At some stage, they will. I can't get it on all of my devices yet. So yeah, it's, it's uh, not No, the, you're talking about here in the local market. It's a complete mess. Yeah, so it, we, I mean, we've, got, we've got some challenges there internationally. You know, ultimately, we are going to need as consumers to be paying for a range of different services to you know to, to tick the boxes with the content we want. One of the things I find curious that Amazon are doing, which is is quite unique, is you can buy their service and then you can say, "Oh, I'll pay for this extra one to get some extra content." So Netflix used to have a deal with Stars, which gave them access yep, to this yep. massive content catalog. That deal lapsed and they decided it was too expensive or whatever. They were going to focus differently. And so they let that lapse and suddenly all this content that was available was gone. Now you can pay on top of your standard Amazon subscription to add in the Stars catalog and you get that, that back, which, oh, which you can't get through uh, Netflix. So there's some quite interesting things that are starting to come through. And we've seen, I guess, a similar thing happen in the US with the cable networks where you know, you'd buy your, you'd get your set-top box with your cable subscription. And in the early days, they just wanted you to have that. And um, you know, the set-top box was maybe capable of running Netflix and Amazon and other bits and pieces. But no way would they give you that stuff. If you wanted to run Netflix, you'd buy another box. Gotcha. And, Added on. Now they're putting all those apps in there and, Building it and in, trying to create this it. environment where you can you can pick and choose what you uh, what you want. Yeah, go, going forward, I mean, it's it's actually really complicated because going forward, what are you going to do? You're going to subscribe to eight of them, or does somebody win? Well, it depends the, what sports you're into as it, well. Exactly, you start like sport on. Yeah, you want Formula One? You know, oh, you, you got to go to Sky. You, you, could, have, you, know, you could be spending five hundred dollars a month of each. So the whole idea, we all sat here and we went, we want to get away from these crazy cable bundles. You know, we've got 500 channels we don't want. We just want one of them. And I think in the future, we'll eventually be able to get that. One day, many years from now, if I wanted to watch, say, Formula One's a great example, I wouldn't have to subscribe to Sky to get it. I would just subscribe to Formula One. But if that Formula One, and this is what we're seeing with some of the sport franchises, you might be paying a lot of money. Well, WWE's for, done that. For, We're the first for, to do it, really. One, right? Yeah, so what am I going to end up subscribing to 50 different things? I mean, that's actually, we're worse off than we were before with con- conventional television. We'll never see perfection, will we? Nirvana is not coming to us not via good the enough. internet. I want to have streaming content for free with no advertising. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too much to ask, is no, it? No, no, not at all. Not at all. All right, that's probably most of most of our topics covered. We we must drive in uh, some episode a little bit more into this topic of, of Netflix getting blocked and and talk through you know what experiences people are getting on that. But you know the feedback is more and more people are uh, are seeing issues with accessing content through Netflix. They're getting into Netflix, but then you know as they access certain bits and pieces of content. Maybe isn't designed for uh, for the local New Zealand market. Yeah, they're, well, the local uh, they're, selection they're, they're is seeing those. Um, have you seen the local selection of content? Issues. 
not for a while. I've you know <laughs> I've, I've chosen not to look at the New Zealand uh, catalogue, um, but I think now, yeah, in the last little while, I've actually been experiencing maybe what it's like to be a Kiwi because I get this message. I'm I've been seeing it, um, and so I need to spend a little bit of time into. Uh, into jumping through the hoops to uh, to resolve it, uh, where, figuring out how to avoid it, where it comes up, and uh, yeah, on some of that US content, it's saying, uh, uh-uh, no, you're uh, you're coming through a proxy or something. So, it's quite uh, fascinating. I mean, we were hypothetically, we were all wanting to not download content anymore. We want to do it legitimately, pay for a service, and get the content we want. We want to be the good guys. We want to be to the good guys. The content producers. Yeah. I mean, I do. I mean, I used to create content, and I'd like to supply some funds so the people create the content. However, Absolutely. you just can't get this content you want on every service. You, you can if you have 25 services, but at the moment, if you want one that does it all, there's no such thing. And if, even in New Zealand, you might not, you might not get, actually be able to get everything that you, that you need. Okay, um, we'll definitely be diving back into that on, an, on another episode, if anyone's interested. Now, I wanted to talk to you, Ketzel, around this thing called the Module Project, which is ah. uh, was kind of why we invited you in, actually. I mean, we've had great discussion on all of these other topics, but I want to know, what is this new, uh, this new startup, the Module Project? Well, well I've heard this, from this your, is something your I actually know about. A, a, little, a little bit about it in the past, but it was all secret, secret squirrel. So tell yeah. us. Well, as of who, today, it's not secret Who are squirrel. you? Who are the people behind it? And what, are you, what, can, you, what can you share? Um, well, what, what we can share at the moment is that we started a technology, a consumer technology company. So we're d- designing and manufacturing consumer technology products. We're not telling everybody, anybody, what our first product is. But given, well, well, let's stop right here. I'm not interested. You're not going to tell me what you're doing. But what we can tell you is this. Our, our first product is categorically a benchmark in its category and will render the competition obsolete. But everybody says that. They all say that, and, and then they back it up with, oh, it's a better color and a, whatever it may be. But what we're doing, and it's in the name of the company, Module, is we have modular consumer technology products. So that uh, older people will get this straight away. And I've, we've finally figured out a way of describing to people. When people. Normally when you hear modular, you think a Lego. Some kind of boxes you stick together and you get this relatively unattractive product, but it you can upgrade it. And, the, and there was a smartphone concept down this, down Ara. this track It's called as well. the Ara phone. It, comes, it actually comes out this year. And they've gone back to the drawing board to change the design. And that was to do with the connections and so forth. But they, they hadn't quite got it right. The part that they got wrong was that the thing was incredibly ugly. And unfortunately, whether it's right or wrong, when we buy things nowadays, we care about what they look like. And maybe we shouldn't care what a phone looks like or a laptop or a whatever the device it may be. We probably shouldn't care what it looks like, but we do. So we realized that the product would have to be beautiful first and then modular afterwards. So our products, the best way of describing it to you is an existing product. So take a, uh, a MacBook Air. If, if Module made a laptop, and I'm not saying we're doing a laptop, but we might be. But let's say we did a laptop. It would be quite similar. Beautiful, metal, meticulously engineered, and just as desirable as the one that you already want or own. The difference is that you can open it. You are allowed to open it. And it's designed to be open. So that means that when the CPU in your computer becomes out of date in just three or four years, instead of the entire device being going to landfill and having to be rebuilt and you purchasing another one, you simply upgrade the CPU yourself. It's that simple. That's the analogy. It's preventing the product going to landfill so we get more longevity. I guess there'll be some products that are going to work much better for that. And Earlier when when we were chatting, we talked about all sorts of things. You know, I mentioned some of the the car launches that I've been to, 
and you know you sit down in its vehicle and they're showing you off the new uh, you know infotainment system and you think hold on what about the model that just came out six months ago yeah how do we handle it there's no way of doing it now with a car I can see that being reasonably easy there's a, there's a reasonable amount of space and so on to to rejig those things but something like a, a MacBook Air or some of the smartphones are pretty compact the way um, they're designed yeah that's going to that's quite interesting going to create some uh, well, challenges the, I would imagine it's admit, definitely more imagine. complicated to the way I look at it, it's like this. Let's say, let's say you use Apple as an example. They're a popular company. They make the biggest, well, individually largest selling phone in the world. They've got a team of thousands of engineers, and they can't design a phone that's the same thickness that's modular. I, I can't imagine how that could be possibly true. And they certainly couldn't do the same thing next year. They, they are in the business of selling you a new product. It's the same with a car. The upgrade path for a car is a new car. It's not an upgrade of the car that you currently own because the companies making this have no environmental conscience. They don't care that we have to build another car. They want to sell you another car. So is, is your aim um, to sell a whole lot of product or to inspire the industry so That's, that you go out of business and Apple and all the big players yeah, end up making their own modular devices? Well, for us, success is that if I go into a store at some point in my life and a modular product, as fantastic as the products that we've designed, is on offer and I get to choose that as well, we've succeeded. If we force these massive companies or replace these massive companies with what we're doing, either one is fine. I don't really care which how it works. As long as that when I go into a store and there's a shiny gadgety phone that I can't upgrade and goes to landfill and there's another, that becomes one next to it that I can that lasts five, ten times longer, well, we've succeeded. That's the, the end goal of the company was to make more environmentally conscious devices. Hmm. And at the moment, we're, I don't know how we ended up where we, how we, where we are now, but we're in a point where it's actually mind-boggling. If I said to you, there's a new car out, gets a flat tyre, you have to throw the car away. No one would buy that car. That's the stupidest device ever known to mankind. However, we're doing it for virtually everything else we own, which is, if you think about it, it's just mind-boggling. And the fact that we, we well, there was, buy- I guess there was, there was a time you'd buy something like an, an appliance and that appliance would last for 20 years. You oh, know, easily. Now, now easily. you go and buy a washing machine or you know a, a standard sort of appliance and... It's anyone's guess in terms of yeah, how long, you how long, no you're, gonna, how long you're going to get you out get of it. You get five years out of it, you're happy. That's crazy. And a lot of, the interesting part of it is especially, especially mobile devices, anything that's battery-driven, because they have a, the battery has a life cycle. So what we've got um, sitting in front of us the, the, the Sony um, Bluetooth speaker we were talking about earlier. Yep. Now that looks as though it's pretty much locked down. So would that that's a, an example of something i guess once the battery gets to its end of its life oh, um you, categorically you probably a, a you module, probably have to throw it away a module version of this is something that has to exist this particular device in the next 3 or 4 years they'll sell literally hundreds of millions of them and all of them within 10 years will be in a landfill all of them which if you think about it's mind boggling that it's even legal to produce that because it's not i can't open it i have to send it back to someone and if i'm lucky enough that they even support the product five years from now. They're probably not carrying bare batteries. But And it's also, a lot of people don't understand how they manufacture these products now. Mostly plastic, and it's glued together. You'll essentially destroy it opening it. I mean, realistically, if it had, say, let's call what's otherwise known as a, a bolt or a screw, it's a new innovation, you could open this and then repair it. I think a lot of people, we've just ended up in this lifestyle of, oh, honey, buy us and get another one. And I, I don't think many of us realize the implications of what we, our behavior I guess also a lot of us think that it's just the, the waste is the dangerous part, just throwing away, but it's actually the manufacturing as well. 
So when it's built, a huge amount of energy and resources go into making it. Every single new item that we buy, consume and throw away causes that damage. So if we could just, for example, let's say we had a module version of, the, of, a, of this wireless speaker. And instead of it going to landfill in five years, it went to landfill in 25 years. Well, just that step alone is worth us pursuing. Being- You'd have to make something that um, you know, looks pretty good. If someone wants to hold, own this, the same product uh, for a long time, you've got to make it look good, don't you? Because that's a product that things date, right? And yep. um, I mean, this has got buttons on it different from what we would have seen on a Bluetooth speaker four or five years ago. In fact, there weren't, there weren't too many options around. Um, if we look now, the changes are reasonably small from one year to the next. Now, there are some standards that change. So where we were using mini yep. USB chargers a few years ago, we don't anymore. We use micro, we use USB-C. This one doesn't use either of those those standards at all and requires a you know proprietary well, charger. So, there, you know, there's challenges for there. For us, this is, this is easy stuff. This is literally child's play. For us, it's very simple. The way that we design the products is that when you upgrade the board, that's an assembly that attaches to the plugs as well. So if we have a new spec, let's say it's called USB-D, it's a new spec, or we have green fi in 15 years, you're just replacing a single part. Right, so you'd make it so every element basically can element be, can be swapped unit. out Any, and changed. The idea is this. You go to the module website, and you, you've lost the Allen bolts. That's all you've lost. You pulled it apart, you put a new battery, and you lost the Allen bolts. But you'd like the same ones back again. You can order the Allen bolt. Any single part of the component that you've bought, every every part, every component you can order. And not only do you get the product, so it arrives, you get a new CPU board or whatever it might be. Let's say we've made a speaker. Hmm. So then you've, your driver's worn out 15 years from now. You order a driver, we send you a new driver, and we also send, it comes with return packaging, which you put the old driver in and we, we recycle it. So it's a, it's a simple process for anyone to upgrade. Like if you can put a Lego, a Lego toy together, then you can upgrade our product. Hmm. It's, I mean, it sounds to me like a, like a great concept. And on top of the fact that, like you said, the appearances thing is a really interesting part of it. Like it has to be desirable and people, things change. So not only is the product internally modular, the exterior shell of all of our products is also customizable. So if you decide you want a wooden version or it becomes trendy to have a neon, colorful, whatever, well, that's something we'll offer. Where, where would 3D printing come into this? Because we're, we're moving into this sort of world where we, we're getting open source designs available. We're getting bits and pieces where you could maybe, you know, 3D print a different case or a different, yeah, different, a different future, element. When would everyone you see has that, that in part of it? I think, I think it is, but we're, we're probably five, ten years away from that being a reality because we're talking about it. But that's, that's like you ordering. I guess, it depends on what the product is and the complexity. Like this particular, for example, one of these speakers. That's not something of 3D printing anytime in the near future. The, the complexity internally in terms of the, the computer system. No, I guess it. I'm not talking about the entire thing, but you know, you've, you've bought a product and you want to you know, get a new, oh, a new shell a new shell for oh, absolutely. It, you know, something like that. But that's, that's meaning that, that's, that means that your shell isn't going to be, say, a wooden shell. So it depends on what you want to make it. If you can make it well, out it depends of depends if you've got a 3D printer for, uh, wood. for wood. There you, there you <laughs> well, go. you could do a bioplastic. The other thing is we're trying to get away from petroleum-based plastics and so forth. I mean, our first device is basically built from stainless steel because it's intrinsically recyclable because of its monetary value. Not because anyone wanted to be environmentally friendly, just because it has value. So it's 100% recyclable. But yeah, for us, what it was make the product out of premium materials, make it last longer and allow the c- consumer, the owner... I think for us, we're trying to get to the 
a conventional product, you're kind of renting it. It's yours, but it's not really yours because mm. they're not going to support it for very long. You have to replace it. With ours, we want you to own it, maybe like people used to own things. But, I mean, the actual motivation for us was really, at the end of the day, we just want, if there's going to be 100 million of these made in the next three years, we'd like it to be 100 million that lasts for 15 to 20 years rather than three to five. Cool. And this, this came out just yesterday was that Apple has it on their own website, the lifespan of their products, which they just recently said was three years for a smartwatch. And I oh know three years for a phone mm. and four mm. years for a laptop, mm. which is crazy. Now, okay, this all sounds very cool. You're going to have a few challenges. How do you, uh, you know, you talked about Apple and thousands of engineers and all, all those sorts of things. They've, you know, they've got bucket loads, so you know, I mean, literally, literally of uh, money and people. Uh, money, people, pretty pretty much uh, anything you can poke a stick at, they can uh, they can afford. But you've got what's effectively a small startup here in New Zealand. How do you get from here to the point where your product's known about uh, globally? Is it do you use Kickstarter? What sort of channels yeah, well, and so on do you use? How do you how do you fund something like this? Well, and thank, what do you think your chances of success thank, are? Thankfully for us, <laughs> we're like Apple, when Apple started, for example. Let, let's use them as an example. When they started, funding was difficult. It was literally phone calls and meetings. Hmm. There was no such thing as a Kickstarter campaign. There was no such thing as crowdfunding. Venture capital was difficult. It was all a lot more difficult than it is now. And on top of that, knowledge was complicated. Just learning what the competitors were doing and how they did it was hard to find out because they're not going to tell you. Whereas nowadays, you can get the bill of materials for anything that's made, how they made it, what components it uses. For us, us it's simple. We, We hired the best industrial designers in the country immediately. It's the first thing we did. And we're just essentially building a team of the most talented people in the world. So for you guys getting getting started, I guess these have to be contract resources and so on yeah, until it, such time it, as you you know at, at scale to. Well, actually... I think a lot of companies do that too early. Mm. They start employing people as an employee way beyond way earlier than they need to. For us, and what we also did was we didn't. Our first product is not a motor vehicle. When's your first product coming out? Four months from now, our first product's out in about four months. Interesting. And what yep. we, what we, the, way we, the way we're debuting it is very straightforward. We're going to debut it individually, component by component, until eventually you'll realize what we're, what we're selling you. That's quite a unique approach. Well, we can do that because we, we, can, we are actually selling you these components. Like the idea is that if you opened up this particular speaker, or this one I have no idea, what, if you, we've opened up numerous products, and internally they're a mess. They're literally glued together for a bunch of wires. We virtually the way that we're designing is we there's virtually no cabling in our components. They're, it's all hard. The components are hardwired. It's just a completely different ballgame. You'll open your module product the day you buy it. The first thing you do will be open it, and as soon as you open it, you'll realize it was designed to be upgraded. Sounds like a fun experience. Yeah, well, it's 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 been complicated because mm. I think the part of the question before the hardest part of this has not been about uh, financing, and it's actually been about location. It's just being here. It's a little, a little more complicated to do a tech startup consumer company basing out of New Zealand because when you say we've, we want to take on the big players, they're like, who, who are you? Why? And we're like, well, it's a logical decision. We're just making a product that needs to exist. And we're so confident in the product that the difficulty for us now is just executing it perfectly because if we're selling you a product that's supposed to last you a lifetime or as long as it can physically last, we have to more than engineer it correctly. It has to be engineered perfectly. 
there's some great products on the market that nobody knows about. So you've got a, you've got some challenges there that's, in terms of I, I telling. Think that's the hardest part of the job. Uh, telling your story. I mean, obviously you've got to get that funding, and um, and then you've got to get out and, and and tell the story, depending on which way around that goes, depending on how you launch into yeah. into market. Um, Kickstarter a possibility for you? I that think, type I of think, you know, crowdfunding I think channel. I think we've decided. Well, like we we haven't decided, but we're ninety five percent of the way decided that we'll launch the first product. We were going to do it privately. But we feel for the product that we're launching, the price point that it's at, and so forth, that it'll have the most success at Kickstarter. We're not aiming just we're not aiming to launch it and maybe squeak by with our Kickstarter campaign. We're aiming to set a record with the Kickstarter campaign. That's our target. The current target, I think, was 19 million or something or other, with what is actually a product that hasn't even been delivered to the customers. So that's the benchmark. A product that's kind of weird that was never developed, it still hasn't been delivered to all their customers. So that's that's the benchmark. Mm. So we just have to beat that. Well, that's exciting. That's mm. really cool. Good luck. Well, um, now where do, where will people find you online too? Because you've got a little bit of a video up that yeah, uh, we posted that, the first video today. The, the, that's the, on YouTube. The, the first piece of your story. The first piece, and that's just essentially outlining the issue and what we're doing. It's a YouTube module project is the, is the YouTube account, but easiest way to find it is just go to the website themodulproject.com okay that's great excellent and if people want to track you down can they reach you on twitter or something like that as me well me personally what, no what's the best what's no, the best way I'm, I'm, I, I don't really exist <laughs> I, like, I, I mean I, I founded the company with, with some other people but uh, the, the company's not about an individual and it never will be the, our structure is very different Apple's a great example they were led by a very innovative person and after he passed away the company's become less innovative vastly so we what we're trying to do is an environmental solve an environmental issue we're not trying to make people famous so the idea for us is that we want module to be the message and leave it at that interesting interesting times ahead well uh, we'll look forward to following your story and we'll look forward to keeping keeping in touch and uh yeah, well, and, and seeing how, how it goes in the coming uh, the coming months. Yeah, so we'll be looking out for uh, for August and and, yep. and, and and where you go. So August is when you'd be picking to be sort of launching something on a crowdfunding yeah. platform. Yeah, we, well, you know, it's such a dangerous thing because people they they see it as a pre order, and we're about thirty percent engineered at the moment. We're a long way from being a hundred percent engineered, and there's a lot more to do. And we're obviously making a product that lasts longer, so it's complicated for us. We can't physically rush it. Rush it. We if we rush it, we we we're doomed. Mm. And we, but at the same time, people who order it, pay for it. They want the thing to arrive in X amount of time. So we're just going to be very clear and very careful with any promises about when the delivery dates will be on our product. So when we're comfortable that the product's so closely ready to go to market, that's when we announce the date. Yep, makes sense. I think that's us for this week. So thanks very much for joining me, Ketzel. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's great. Um, now, listeners that are wanting to find out a little bit more, then uh, jump into nztechpodcast.com for the notes from uh, from this show. And you can also uh, track us down on Twitter at nztechpodcast. And you can track me on Twitter at Paul Spain. So thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week for another episode. See you then. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.